I begin this morning with an excerpt from Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play, When No One Has the Time, a work produced by Bridget Schulte, an award-winning journalist uh, for the Washington Post, and the Washington Post magazine was part of a team that won a Pulitzer Prize. I mean, the lady's got her stuff together, so we think. And she writes this, It's just after 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, and I'm racing down Route 1 in College Park, Maryland. The check engine light is on, as it always is. The car tax sticker on my windshield is expired. The cell phone I'd been using mysteriously disappeared into one of the seat cracks that I was just speaking on, and I'm late. I screech into the crowded, uh, overstuffed parking garage and wind ever higher until at last I find a spot on the top deck. My palms are sweating, my breath is shallow, my heart races, and I feel slightly sick. I throw the car into park, fumble ineptly with the parking ticket machine that seems to not want to give me the ticket, race downstairs only later. When revisiting this frantic day in my memory, will I realize the sky had never been such a poignant shade of autumn blue, nor the leaves tinted with such a fall red. But as I live it, the stress hormones coursing through my veins tense my entire body and collapse my vision into a narrow, dizzying, dizzying tunnel. This is how it feels to live my life. I'm scattered and fragmented and exhausting. I'm always doing more than one thing at a time, and I feel like I'm not doing any one thing particularly well. I'm always behind and always late with one more thing or one more thing or one more thing that I need to do right before I go out the door. Entire hours evaporate while I'm doing stuff that needs to get done, but once I'm done, I can't actually tell you what it is that I actually did or why it was actually important. I feel like I'm the red queen of through the looking glass, but on speed, running as fast as I can, usually on fumes of four or five hours of sleep and getting nowhere. It's like the dream that I keep repeatedly having where I'm running a marathon, but I'm the only one in ski boots. And since I've had kids, uh uh-huh, since I've had kids, I don't think I've ever had a typical day. There was a morning where my son Taekwondo Roundhouse kicked me in the face when I was went to wake him up, which sent my coffee splattering over every book on his bookshelf. I hurriedly wiped the pages because I don't want them to stick together and I don't want his library to be ruined. But of course, I hurriedly, hurriedly whirled through my day until I fixed the library, which of course made me glaringly late and threw my whole plans for the day into the shredder. My sister, Mary, has these kinds of days too. She calls them stupid days. There was the day I flew late into a meeting with school officials to discuss while our 10-year-old son, who knows way more about World War II than I ever will, for some reason was struggling with the fifth grade. I dragged along behind me my second grader, still in her pajamas and slippers because she stayed home sick. And then I nervously, throughout the whole meeting, kept an eye on my Blackberry because I was in the middle of reporting a deadline. Then there was a time when the amount of work I needed to do pressed so heavily on my chest that I could barely breathe to the extent that I said no when my daughter asked, Mommy, will you please come with me on my field trip today? Ah, We'd been through this before, I told her. I couldn't come on every field trip. And then her big gray eyes started to water. I felt the breath drain out of me. I thought at the end of my life, would I remember... Whatever assignment it was, it seemed so urgent. I don't even recall it now, or would I remember a beautiful day in the woods with a daughter who'd been struggling with unexplained stomach aches? Sorry. Was socially wobbly since her best friend moved away, who still wanted me to be with her, and so I went. But you know what I did for three hours? I spent guiltily checking my, my Blackberry. After putting her to bed that night, I went back to work for another four. I've baked Valentine's cupcakes till two and finished writing stories till four when all was quiet and finally had unbroken time to concentrate. Some appliance is mysteriously always broken. 
My to-do list never ends. I have yet to do a family budget after meaning to do so for 20 years. The laundry lies in such a huge, perpetual, unfolded mound that my daughter has taken to diving in it and swimming around in it like it's a pool. I was even failing our cat, Max. I asked someone at the pet store what I could do to make him stop scratching up the carpet. Well, he thinks you're his mother. He's showing you he needs more attention from you, she said. Can't you find time to play with him every day? Find time? Can't I just squirt him with water? At night, I often wake up in a panic about all the things I need to do or get done or didn't get done. I worry that I'll face my death and realize my life got lost in the frantic flotsam of daily stuff. Once my sister told me, Claire, you know what she told me? She said, when you smile, it releases some mysterious chemical in the brain that calms anxiety. I've tried smiling at 4 a.m. in bed, in the dark. It didn't work. How in the world, with pressures like these, and I can't feel, I can't imagine I'm the only one who relates to this woman's story. How, with these types of pressures, in this type of life, can we ever find time for Jesus? This may shock you, but Jesus faced all of the same pressures and expectations and cultural chaos that infects our world today, maybe more so than we even realize. I love this rendering of this verse out of the Message Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weaknesses and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. He's been there. You may think it impossible, but busy is not new. In fact, first century Palestine and 21st century Dallas rival each other for busyness, especially for an itinerant miracle worker and potentially Messiah who showed up on the scene some 2,000 years ago into a world of incredible need. Jesus entered into a world of incredible and constant need, and the more that that world got to know who Jesus was, the more they needed him. And in view of that ever-pressing expectation and increasing need, Jesus, strangely, I can't figure it out as I read the Gospels, he was never in a hurry. I never read a passage that said Jesus was so stressed out, smoke was coming out of his earballs. I don't find it. I never find a place where Jesus was late. In fact, he never wasted a single moment, which is hard because as we look at his life, some of his life, earthly life, seemed kind of wasted according to our, our schedule. When we review a little bit of his earthly ministry, we may be left thinking, Jesus probably could have gotten more done. Here's the truth, he could have. Jesus' purpose was never to accomplish all that he could do in a single day. Did you know that? In fact, Jesus' purpose was to accomplish all he was supposed to do in a single day. We have a very dangerous relationship with could and can because there's always more that could be done. I can get more done. Just because we can get it done doesn't mean we're supposed to get it done. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that somehow we are going to be released from could and can. By the end of this message, I'm hoping that we feel a little less burden on our shoulders maybe a little less pressure on our souls, and maybe experience a greater sense of invitation to a very specific place that is sacred. And from that place, I pray that we find more sanity in our life, a heck of a lot more order, and please, God, more rest. 
Over the past few weeks, we've talked about this sacred space. We looked at the posture that we are to take when entering that sacred space and the invitation, as we saw last week, to come, the weary of the world. If you've not been here over the past couple of weeks, I encourage you to go back and review those messages as this is a building series. But this morning, the question is, how do we find this place, this sacred space? Well, here's the simple answer. To find it, all you have to do is follow in Jesus' footsteps. But here's the catch. (laughs) Jesus blazes a trail that cuts right across our cultural norms, right across our societal expectations, and our deeply held cultural convictions. To follow in his footsteps, we literally have to live differently. And did I mention that Jesus was busy? Or shall I say, the world around him was busy, and that world, just like this world, constantly pressured him to be busy too. Did you know this world is constantly pressuring us to be busy? But for some reason, Jesus never gave in to that pressure, and I think we'll discover why. Look at Mark chapter 1. Open your Bible, say word. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Before I bring up those verses, I'm going to give you a little context of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Jesus had just begun his earthly ministry in Mark chapter 1 in the region of Galilee. His work is now in full swing. He has called his disciples to follow him. Uh, We talked about this on Wednesday night, students, about Jesus. The initial calling was a pretty low commitment level. Well, at this point, the commitment level is pretty high. And they are following Christ. And on a particular Saturday, Jesus entered into a synagogue at Capernaum to teach, which was common. That's how how he moved through the towns. He would go into the synagogue and he would teach and preach. And as it was on this particular Saturday, there there was some pretty radical stuff that happened in that synagogue to the extent that literally the whole region was electrified. News of this new teacher who spoke with authority but also with power was spreading. There were whispers of healings and exorcisms, people being healed and restored. There were whispers of Messiah. Maybe this is the Messiah. John the Baptist had made some really startling claims about this man. And so literally the masses flooded the region. And so Jesus spent the day in the synagogue. And at one point, a demon-possessed man rudely interrupted him. And so you know what Jesus did? He liberated the man, set him free. And the crowd and the synagogue were in total awe. Who is this? We've never heard teaching like this before. We've never seen power demonstrated like this before. And so as that particular Sabbath drew near dusk, Jesus and his disciples made their way to Andrew and Simon Peter's house. Well, and so did thousands of other people. So what we need to realize is that in the first century, there were no hospitals. I mean, not what we would call a hospital today. There was, there was medicine, but not like medicine today, whether it was treatment for psychological or physical disorder. It was a mixture of superstition and occult practices and homeopathic mixtures that often left people mostly sicker. I mean, people were faced with all of the same ailments and maladies that we have today, but with less effective medicine. That is why there was such a extremely low average lifespan of the typical adult in the first century. And so when news broke, there was a healer in town who was liberating people from mental disorder and psychological and physical and demonic. The region flooded. Everybody came to Jesus, and they brought everyone they could drag there who was sick or infirmed for healing. In fact, we look at Mark chapter 1, verse 32 
And this, this reads like the overwhelming pressures continue to, to grow and, and to expound. And, and the pressure, you can just imagine, you feel this pressure on the chest. Chest is thousands of people are being brought. But look at this. That evening as sun went down, they brought. That literally means they continually kept bringing. And continually kept bringing. They kept bringing to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Do you ever feel like the whole world's knocking down your front door to get at you? It literally was. In Jesus' case. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus literally had an entire city of need at his front door, an entire region of need. And what began as this big mass of people as the night wore down and the candles burned down, it became a trickle, and then all of a sudden there was only one or two people coming in, then the city became quiet. As towns often do, right? At a certain hour, everybody kind of battens down the hatches and things get real quiet and still. That happens in our neighborhoods. There are certain hours where the hustle and bustle gives way to quiet and stillness. And at that moment, I believe Jesus laid his head down. I mean, our, our, our wonderful Savior, our blessed Savior, laid down to rest after a long day of ministry, satisfied. I will tell you right now, there is nothing more satisfying than laying your head down on the pillow at night, knowing you have accomplished the Lord's will for your life that day. There is nothing more satisfying than that. But here's the problem. (laughs) The next day is always coming, right? And coming quick. The pressures placed on Christ for his time, his teaching, and his healing would only grow exponentially. But Jesus was not an itinerant preacher and healer. That was not why he had come. He had come for a much greater purpose. And this may startle you, but we need to hear this. Jesus did not come to meet every earthly need. That is not why he came to earth for that three and a half year period. Jesus did not come to do all he could do. He came to do all he was supposed to do. And there's a massive difference. His mission was not to heal every person or to meet every pressing need. His mission was to accomplish the Father's will every day. And so the next morning, long before anyone else awoke, Jesus made his way to a sacred place. A place in the scripture that is described as desolate. Look at verse 35. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And there he did what? He prayed. We're told that very early in the morning, while it is still dark, if I was to guess, it was probably around four in the morning. While darkness still had a grip and command of the evening and the morning. It is a place that is described as desolate and deserted, uninhabited. It reveals the quality and texture of such places. It's a place that is quiet and still, undisturbed, unhindered, unhurried. In present-day vernacular, we might call it a place with no cell phone service. (laughs) We had an interesting experience on our trip this, this past summer. On our sabbatical, we, we were going through multiple campsites up, in, up the coast of California, Oregon, and Washington, and as we entered into one region, we were going to a place called Big Sur, and as we called the campground, I said, hey, we just want to let you know, carols are coming, we got to warn people, because you can't just show up with a bunch of herd of kids, people are like, why did you let us know? We could have done something. Surprise! So the lady tells me on the phone, she goes, oh, hey, by the way, there's no cell phone service. And in my mind, I'm like, surely there's cell phone service. I mean, what she means is there's no streaming, there's no data. Like, I'll just have to go to the internet cafe. And she goes, no, for a 40-mile 
area, there's no cell phone service. I, I just couldn't believe it. So we get there, and guess what? There wasn't a bar. There wasn't a third of a bar. There wasn't one-eighth of one-hundredth of a bar. It said no service on my phone. Do you know what there was? This archaic old machine in the middle of the campsite that I had to try to explain to a bunch of kids who had never seen anything other than a cell phone. I was like, it's a payphone. What does it do? It looks like something that Superman climbs out of. And I was like, I assure you, no superhero is coming out of that thing. It's a phone. How does it work? Well, you insert a whole bunch of money, and you type in a number that we no longer remember, and you call a person that you can't reach any longer because we don't know their number. So we just stared at it. But you know what's interesting that happened in that particular camp? Kids played. I didn't see any kids doing this. They just played. They played with hula hoops and basketballs and, and trees. The kids just played. They played with one another. They ran around. Adults started talking this awkward, uh, hello, fellow human. I almost forgot how to do this. And it was quiet at night. Almost desolate. I mean, you could hear the fire crackling, popping, the stillness. And you know what? For the first time, we could breathe. And we could listen. And we could commune with God. Jesus retreated to places like that. Places that were proverbially, you know, there were no cell service. And there he prayed. He communed with God. And I think the reason he's doing this, he's getting his itinerary for the day. Like, Father, what is your will for me today? Every single day counted. Every single day mattered in the life of Christ. He had three and one half years to do all he was sent to do. Not a day was wasted. It's hard for us to process that because according to our cultural norms and expectation, we wear busy like a badge of honor. We look at the life of Christ and we think, wow, he wasted kind of a lot of time. Because what was he doing in this desolate place? He was what? He was praying. We don't know what posture. Maybe he was standing. Maybe he was kneeling. Maybe he was sitting. Maybe he was just laying down. And we're left to think, wow, how unproductive is that? It's hard for us to wrap our mind around the spiritual nature of who we are as humans that we really do need this time. And it's not wasted. I think it's one of the reasons why we work so hard and we pray so little. I think that should be reversed. I think we should pray a little bit harder, a little bit more, and work a little bit less. I think that's a reason why we are so ragged and so exhausted. And it was during this time while he prayed that others began to search for him. See, Jesus got up before anybody else would because he knew that once they woke up, they're going to start bringing him all the could and all the can and all the things that need to be done. In fact, verse 36, Simon and those who were with him searched for him, literally hunted him down, is how that phraseology reads in Greek. And they found him, and they said to him, and this is revealing a level of irritation, everyone is looking for you. What are you doing out here? Why are you in the middle of nowhere? There's so many needs to meet in town. Everybody show back up at the house. It's like when you turn your cell phone on after it's been off for a while, and it's like you hit like the big money on a slot machine, and you're looking at it, you're like, wow, shouldn't have turned it on. But all it is is the world saying, hey, we need you, you got stuff to do, don't, don't you know you got stuff you got to take care of, the world needs you. What are you doing out here? What are you doing with your cell phone off? Do you notice it's harder and harder now to turn our tech off? 
there's going to be a point where there is no off button. We're being conditioned to never turn it off. That's not a good thing, by the way. In a way, it feels good to be needed. In a way, it feels good to always be connected. But you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll say this. It may actually be depleting our souls. I quote here from Dr. Constable. He says this, Simon and his companions did not understand Jesus' need for prayer. I think it's hard for us to grasp our need for prayer too. They seem to have had the common attitude that when things are favorable, we do not need God's help. Their words implied annoyance. Apparently, they felt that Jesus was not taking advantage of his popularity to promote his mission. They didn't realize that God directed Jesus' mission. God directed Jesus' mission, not the responses of the people. Listen to this, family. Please hear this. If Jesus allowed people to dictate his time, he never would have accomplished his purposes. If Jesus allowed people to dictate his time, he never would have accomplished his purposes. And we live in a world now where we are forever on call. Constantly having people attempt to dictate our time. For example, what is the expectation when somebody rudely calls us instead of text messages? I don't know why we use phone calls anymore. Anyway, let's cut all the riffraff out of there. Let's get down to brass tacks. Anyway, what, do you, what are you supposed to do when someone calls? You're supposed to answer. Or kick it to voicemail in a way that they know or they don't know that you kicked them to voicemail. <laughs> I let it ring a couple times, then kick it to voicemail just so they get the impression that myself, no, anyway, I want to give away my secrets. How about when someone texts you? What's the expectation? You got to text back, no matter what you're doing, or message you on the billion apps that we now have, trying to keep up with that is madness. What is the expectation when you receive an email? Well, if it's a long email directly to trash, but if it's a short email, some people, man, when they write an email, you're like, that's not the place for a novel. 8-point font, no spaces. But the expectation is reply. Well, here, listen to this. This is going to sound crazy. Sometimes the godliest thing we can do is not be on call. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is to not be on call. There is nothing more important than daily fulfilling God's purposes for our lives. And you know what, family? Listen to this. The devil loves to keep us busy. Loves it. He can't have our souls. Christ has that. But he can sure keep us ineffective with busy. All of the things we have to hurry up and we got to accomplish. Got to get down. Got to get down. Got to get down. And all of a sudden, our world's so chaotic and so loud and so busy, we can't hear Jesus speak. And the enemy goes, success. They're no longer able to be on mission. I believe that is why the North American church is as ineffective as she is today. Because we are so stinking busy. We are too busy to pray. We're too busy to hear. We're too busy to follow. Too busy to obey. Jesus had no time for busy. Jesus did not have the time for busy. He had just enough, each time, enough time each day to accomplish the will of the Father with nothing wasted. So he spent time in this desolate place. He received his itinerary for the day, as we see in verses 38 through 39. He said to them, no, we're not going back to the town. 
I recognize there's thousands of pressing needs, but that's not why I've come to meet all of those needs. I have come to teach, and I'm going to continue my teaching ministry. Look at this. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The masses continued to follow. The masses continued to pressure him to do more. The expectations continued to rise. But again, if Jesus allowed people to dictate his time, he never would have accomplished his purposes. And so with all of this pressure and expectation throughout his three-year ministry, Jesus, in fact, had to literally move his ministry outside of town. By the time we get to the end of chapter 1, the, the horde of masses of people was so thick that Jesus no longer could even go into a city. Look at the end of verse 45 of chapter 1. Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Why? Why couldn't he enter a town? Because of the pressing needs. The masses of people who were pushing in on him, but he was out in desolate places. And listen to this. And people were coming to him from every quarter. News was continuing to spread. Hi, baby. A little boy or girl? Little boy? What is his name? Noah. Hey, Bubba. Good job, Dad. <laughs> Kung Fu Dad back there. Y'all see that? All right, I'll, I'll try to be a little bit more quiet. All right? That's good stuff. Oh, I got a little one popping up back there, too. Hey, by the way, just to encourage you, babies are allowed in here. This is a family room. And kids are welcome to come in. Uh, anyway, just wanted to let you know that. Nothing more beautiful than the sound of a baby crying, except for mom and dad. Then they think that's so loud, but... So he couldn't enter a town, and what I think is interesting, he centers himself not in the middle of the chaos. If you're trying to create a following, you center yourself right in the middle of the chaos, but he didn't. He pulls back. I think there's three reasons why Jesus moved his ministry out into desolate places. I think the first one is this. He moved out into desolate places so that he could still have uninterrupted time with his father. It was too important to not do it. In fact, we're told in Luke's gospel that the more that the report went abroad, the greater the crowds that gathered, the more people that came with their infirmities, the more he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This was a continual practice through his earthly ministry. The more he had to do, the more important desolate places were. We have so much to do every day. It's incredible. And yet we do it all, often without a desolate place. And I think, again, that's why we are so exhausted and fatigued, because maybe, just maybe, I don't know this, I'm guessing, but maybe we are setting out every single day to accomplish all we could do or can do in a given day. It's that laundry list of things where it's like, oh, I've got a free second. Okay, cool, I can squeeze this in. Oh, I've got a free second. Oh, I can squeeze this in. Oh, I'm just being productive. No, we're just being crazy. We're being neurotic. Because our goal or our purposes are not to accomplish all we can do or all we could do. Our purpose is to accomplish all we should do. And sometimes the will of the Father is that we do far less than we're actually doing. Jesus already told us that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Which is hard because I cannot figure out then, why do I feel like I'm carrying around a crushing burden? That is beyond my ability to carry. And I started thinking about it, and I'm going, well, maybe I'm not carrying around Jesus' yoke. 
Maybe, in fact, what I'm carrying around is a different yoke entirely. Because I don't experience easy and light. Jesus needed a desolate place. Because if he, if he didn't have that, he could easily have been crushed by daily burdens just like us. He needed to prioritize his day to commune with the Father. We need that too. The second reason that Jesus moved his ministry to a desolate place is that if a person was to come to Christ, they would have to come out to him. We often invite Jesus into our busy. Jesus, come into my busy. Jesus the whole time is going, no. Come into my rest. And we're like, Jesus, come into my crazy and give me peace. And Jesus is like, no. Come out of your crazy and I will give you rest. Our typical response is, ain't nobody got time for that. I'm on a schedule, Lord. Sure, Jesus is calling, but if he's going to have an impact in my life, this is how it's going to have to go down. We're going to have to do this whole thing on the fly. A coffee cup in one hand, phone in the other, hurtling down the road. Jesus, keep up. Let me let you in on a little secret, by the way. Jesus is kind of stubborn. No, he's really stubborn. He will not condescend to our will. He already did that on the cross. Our will was to crush. But he will not condescend to our will. And part of the reason that we're not experiencing the intimacy of Christ in our crazy is because we refuse to go out of our crazy to meet with Jesus. Jesus is inviting us to come. He's waiting for us in desolate places, but we must go to him to meet him. And the third reason I believe Jesus moved his ministry into desolate places is so that he could have uninterrupted time with his disciples. There were too many pressures. There was too much to do. There was too much need. He needed time to disciple his disciples and to prepare him, prepare them for his departure. They were going to take up the work of the ministry. And so he needed uninterrupted, uninterrupted time with them because the needs of the people and the pressure of these folks who wanted food or healing or a fight or something miraculous, they didn't have any intention of following Jesus. He was just trending. He had just gone viral in Galilee. A couple of weeks later, another viral video would come out. And like lemmings, the masses of the people would be like, oh, we're going to follow this person here. And if Jesus had given in to their pressure, he never would have accomplished his purposes. Oh, sorry, Noah. <laughs> Jesus was teaching his disciples to intentionally set aside time to enter into sacred space. Because the needs, the pressures, the expectations are always going to exceed what you're supposed to do. Always. We live in a world that has more need than we have the ability to meet. And that is why I believe Jesus invited his disciples in Mark 6. They had just undertaken some ministry. Verse 31, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Uh, for many were coming and going. They had no leisure to even eat. How many of you all have the leisure? When was the last time you ate a meal that you described as a leisurely meal? It's more like... Yeah, can we get it? Uh, number one, uh, fries. Yeah, lots of them. Um, I don't know, uh, some, uh, Coke, Diet Coke. Okay. I think you said what I said. I'm going to pull around. I do. Yeah. 
Here's my card. You're going to hand me a bag of food. And we just run, and we're chewing and chomping and honking and swerving, and there's no leisure to even eat. And the whole time Jesus is saying, hey, come. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And we can kind of chuckle because in Mark 6, they did go to a desolate place, but the masses of people showed up hungry. Jesus still met the need. Afterwards, he went up on a mountaintop to pray. The, the principle still stands, and you need to hear this family. Listen to this. Please write it down. Take a picture of it. Pull your phone out. Take a selfie with it in the background. Be like, hashtag going to rest. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. It's crazy to me that God literally had to make a commandment under the penalty of death for the people of Israel, you do no work on Saturday. The people of Israel are like, well, he doesn't mean all work. I mean, surely I can go pick up that bundle of sticks over there. It's like we, we just like refuse to rest. God's like, if you pick up that bundle of sticks, that bundle of sticks, that bundle of sticks, you pick that bundle of sticks up, you're going to be stoned to death. Really? But I want to pick up the bundle of sticks. Why do you have rocks in your hands? Like, literally, under the penalty of death, they still wouldn't rest. Jesus is saying, come by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. You may be thinking that we don't have time for it. I have a feeling we don't have the time not to do it. So, let's talk about some applications. We are neurotic people, aren't we? Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, Pastor Chris told me I'm neurotic. I am too. First, the desolate place. What is this desolate place? What does that look like? And here's my thought. I'm not sure if you have a desolate place in your life, a place where you can go and disconnect from it all, a place with proverbial no cell phone service. And thank goodness that all of the cell phone companies are hurtling across our country to eliminate any dead spots, so we always have cell phone service. I don't know if that's a good thing, family. I'm afraid it's not. We keep adding these things to our lives, never asking if they're healthy or they're good. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's necessary. Anyway, a place that is quiet, a place in time during the day where you can get away, <laughs> this is going to sound like so impossible for you moms of young children. A place where you can get away uninterrupted, unhurried, and unhindered for time with Jesus. All moms are going, what are you talking about? You nuthead? Where is this place in time? This mysterious place in time where I have unhindered, uninterrupted, unpressured, unhurried time with God. Well, it's there. You just got to find it. The bathroom. <laughs> maybe it is. Uh, maybe this place is a chair situated in your backyard. Maybe it's a chair discreetly hidden in the front yard. Maybe it's a quiet couch or closet or community park or bathroom or closet. A place set apart, a place that is sacred. You know why it's sacred? You know why I call it sacred? Because you're meeting with God there. And wherever God is, it is sacred. That is why God told Moses to take off his loafers because where he was standing was holy because God was there. We're getting away to a sacred space. 
set apart for that uninterrupted time with God. It doesn't have to be in the morning. Somewhere along the way, it's become more godly to get up super early because of, of Mark chapter 1. I'll tell you, it's a great time because you can get up uninterrupted and you can get your itinerary from the, for the day from the Lord. But you know what? Throughout the scriptures, Jesus sought out a desolate place in the morning, afternoon, at night, telling us that there's no bad time to find a desolate place. Any time of day is good. So here's my, your homework assignment. Find your place this week. Choose it purposefully. Be like, that's my desolate place. And don't get too fancy. You don't do crazy. You don't have to build anything out or anything. Just set it apart for some time. And call it your desolate place, your sacred space. Secondly, and we'll talk about what to do when you get there next week, but another application, could versus should, there's always more to be done. There's always going to be more to be done. There's always more to be done. In fact, <laughs> I feel like I need to say this. Quit telling yourself it's just a season. That is the biggest lie under heaven. It's not just a season. It's an addiction. We tell ourselves, oh, it's just a season. 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 We get to the end. Oh, no. We've traded something very, very valuable, and in the end, we don't even know what we invested in all those seasons. Here's my thought. I think we're giving up more than we realize. Setting out to accomplish all that we can do in a given day is lunacy. Setting out to do what God has set for us that day, family, that is easy and light. This may shock you. The Lord may be telling you right now to do less than you're doing, not more. The Christian life is not about doing more. It may, in fact, actually be about doing less. If we do not have time to rest, if we don't have time to connect with our families, if we don't have time to connect with our community and our church, we're doing too much. We may be setting out every day like that ragged author, Bridget Schulte. So remember this. Jesus' purpose was never to accomplish all he could do in a single day. Jesus' purpose was to accomplish all he was supposed to do in a single day. And there's a massive difference between the two. And so finally, who is it that dictates your time? Who is responsible for your time? If Jesus allowed people to dictate his time, he never would have accomplished his purposes. Ever. This is a tough one, because as we process it, we've been conditioned to allow other people to dictate our time. Just because somebody calls does not mean you have to answer. Just because somebody texts does not mean you have to respond. Just because somebody emails you does not mean you have to reply. God has purposes for us every day. If we allow everyone else to dictate that time, we will never accomplish them. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more important and there's nothing more satisfying and there's nothing more gratifying than intimacy with Christ and walking out the will of the Father for our lives every single day. And this does not mean get selfish. This isn't about, oh, I just need some me time. It's become very popular in our culture. I just need me time. Me. Center. What's the center of it? Me. I'm kind of in the center and everything just kind of revolves around me. Because it's me time. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about uninterrupted, unhindered, unhurried time with, with God. That sounds foreign, doesn't it? And by the way, I don't necessarily recommend you tell others about it. Uh, yeah, I'm not available from 8 to 10 because I need to meet with Jesus. Okay. 
that sounds swell. Text me when you're done. To most people, that's not going to make any sense. I mean, for us, it doesn't make much sense. Because our world, that seems so foreign to our world. But set that time aside. And next week, we're going to look at what do we do with that time? What do we do when we get into that desolate place, that sacred space? The answer may surprise you. Because remember, this is not about doing more. It really is, in fact, about doing less. And so let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this journey that you're taking us on as a ministry, as people. And I pray to something a little bit more sane than what we're experiencing. I do not believe that the pressures and the weight that we're always carrying being crushed by is from you, Lord. I believe that your yoke is still light. It is still, uh, the burden is still easy. And we're being invited to live life different. I pray that we would have the faith to potentially live like others don't. To have a relationship with you, Jesus, that is offered to all who are willing to come. I also invite you, if you are here and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you may not even know what that means. I just want you to know that Jesus has died for your sins. He was buried and he's risen and he is alive right now. And the Bible declares that all who believe in him, all who trust in him will be saved. I don't know if you've ever asked Jesus into your life, but if you feel like God is moving on your heart to do so this morning, in the quietness of your heart, tell him, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried. Please, Jesus, save my life. I want to walk in relationship with you. Well, if that is your heart's prayer, the type of prayer that the Lord loves to answer, you've just passed from death to life, to fellowship with the living God. Welcome to the family. It's a beautiful place. So, Lord, we love you. We want to tell you that we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.